Hey everybody, this is Tanner coming to you for the future. I just wanted to talk about something that we put in the Twitter for the show, but figured we should probably say in the podcast proper as well. Um, this podcast is officially an apartheid-free zone. Uh, what that means is that this podcast is not producing content with materials or services that support Israeli settlement, and we are not partnering knowingly with or accepting sponsorships from anyone who supports Israeli settlement. Um, this is part of a movement that the uh, Palestinians especially are trying to get going called BDS, which stands for Boycott Divestment Sanctions, essentially a movement to try and get people to stop putting money towards Israel-produced products because pretty much all of that money is funneled into the military and all the military does is commit war crimes in Palestine. So we are committing ourselves to not doing anything involved with Israeli products and if we find out that something we have been using or that a guest that we planned on bringing on supports Israeli settlement, then we will stop that, we will cancel that, it will not be on our podcast. And while this movement does focus on Palestine, it is important to reject all settler states, and that does include Canada and the United States. Um, obviously, it's a little bit more difficult to boycott products produced from there, but putting energy towards supporting First Nations people and contacting government officials and pushing them towards protecting and increasing the rights that the indigenous populations of your country have is an important step as well. So, thank you for listening, and on with the show! Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and this episode, don't don't look directly at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this episode we're going to be doing an Indiana Jones movie because I keep hearing that there's supposed to be a fifth one coming out and I'm like, Harrison Ford is nearly 80. <laughs> <laughs> Is the, now, Lindsay, I have to ask, is this going to be Indiana Jane? I was thinking, because in my mind it's still Harrison Ford, and I was thinking back to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when that one came out, the much maligned fourth film, which, to be fair, not as bad as people said it is, but also, to be fair, it wasn't that good. Yeah, it was fine. It, it was fine. It was the most pulpy of all the Indiana Jones movies, but because they had moved into a different decade of pulp, that's why I felt... Because I, I, res- I, can, I can respect Indy 4 from an artistic standpoint. Yeah. And, like, my big problem with figuring out, like, for this episode was, like, when do I set this? What's going on with Indy and his crew? Because everybody is so old now. I'd be worried <laughs> as a director about breaking someone. Yeah. But also, like, as much as I appreciate the attempts at the whole deep fake CGI to make a older actor younger or to bring back someone from the dead, once it gets pointed out by everybody, it does look really fake. Yeah. Like, I, I haven't seen Rogue One since I saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um... But, I, like, I've always told people, like, I had no idea that the guy who played Tarkin had passed away so long ago, so I had no yeah. idea that was a deepfake until it was pointed out to me. Mm-hmm. So I haven't watched it again to see if it holds up or not. Yeah. Um, I will say that the Leia looks really good, and I didn't know yeah. Leia was a deepfake. I thought that was just good makeup. 
yeah, I honestly thought it was Billy Lord, but okay. So yeah, what I decided to do was, hey, let's let's just go back in time to 2007, and this is what I would have done if I had made an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because hey, it shaves off a couple decades off of one of the leading characters. Yeah. I uh, see. Here's the thing: if if I was making another Indiana Jones movie. I would just recast Harrison. I'm sorry. And you can say, oh, but yeah. no one can fill the shoes of Harrison Ford. No, I guarantee we can find someone who can fill Harrison Ford's shoes. Oh, I don't think okay. it was the guy from Solo, because I, I <laughs> yeah. didn't have anything to do, but it's possible. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe we go that route. Because I was thinking, like, this is still, like, post-World War II indie, so he's probably in his 50s, but, like, it's still probably capable of doing shit. Yeah. I am not as worried about him breaking a hip as I am Harrison Ford, who is 78 years old. I cannot emphasize this enough. Yeah. Uh, see, okay, so if they if they do another indie with the 78-year-old Harrison Ford, it's probably going to be 80-year-old Harrison Ford by the time they can start. But, like, that's probably going to be him fulfilling much more of an indie senior role. Yeah. And just being like, I'm the fun old man in the back. <laughs> yeah. And this is my illegitimate son, who's not Shia LaBeouf this time, probably. Oh, yeah, we are excising the whole son situation. <laughs> we'll give him a new kid. Yeah, that's basically what I'm kind of sort of doing. I mean, if if they, they threw out Shia LaBeouf and replaced him with Haley Steinfeld for Transformers, somebody will just do the exact same thing. Haley Steinfeld, <laughs> congratulations. You are now Indiana Jane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my entire premise, because I was, look I was also spending a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, what are they looking for? There's got to be some sort of artifact, and I'm not up for making shit up. Yeah. So I was looking up Lost Cities. Nice. And there's a lot of different cities, and, like, my two original candidates were uh, La Ciudad Blanca, uh, which is possibly located somewhere in Honduras, or Irama the Pillars, which is located somewhere on the southern edge of the empty quarter in Saudi Arabia. But then... I started reading about this place called Thinis, or Tinnis. It is located in Egypt, near the city of Abydos, and it was the capital of the first three dynasties of ancient Egypt. And it's still lost. They think it's somewhere around the Abydos area. And what's neat about it is that it kind of got pushed into Egyptian mythology in regards to how the ancient Egyptians conceptualized heaven in that, like, or their afterlife, like the good afterlife. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, Thinis was supposed to be the good afterlife. Okay. Yeah. And it was also a center for the worship of two gods, uh, one called Anhur, who was a war god. He was particularly worshipped in the Old Kingdom and the early dynastic period. He got associated with Mars by the later Romans. Uh, the Greeks equated Anhar with the god Ares. In the legend of the Olympian gods fleeing from Typhon and taking animal forms in Egypt, Ares was said to have taken the form of a fish as Lepotitus or Onurus, because that's one of his symbols as a fish. There was also his consort, Mehet. So Mehet was a very early lioness goddess who got associated with the Eye of Ra. She's considered one of the distant goddesses. And one of Anhurt's other names means uh, bringer back of the distant one. And I thought, ooh, that sounded mysterious enough. Yeah. And 
ancient old lioness goddess associated with the sun and the moon. Okay, we can work with something. Mm-hmm. So, my general idea is that back in 1938, there was a dig to look for the lost city of Thinnis, and it was led by a husband-wife archaeology team named uh, Felix and Vera Shaw. They also had another associate named Alex Devereaux. Everything's going great. They find some stuff. They think, hey, maybe we've actually found the site. And then we cut to Indiana Jones on some sort of adventure. Piccolo Cal is basically like the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. So we do all that. He gets back to Marshall College. He's uh, teaching a class and then he gets inundated with people being like, hey, could you like grade shit, please? and one of the people who comes through the crowd in the most realistic thing i'm going to throw into this movie the doctoral candidate he is supposed to be advising (laughs) (laughs) a a young student by the name of madeline shaw she's like dr jones i have written 10 fucking chapters could you please review them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing the the chick from the first movie with like the love you written on her eyelids. She's like saunters up to Indy's desk with like two pages like Dr. Jones, I was wondering if you might be able to look over my and then Madge just like <laughs> checks her out the way. <laughs> Professor Jones <laughs> It would would it behoove you to do your job? <laughs> There's only so long I am willing to pickle my lover for you, okay? <laughs> Because the two things that post-grad students do is write or do their projects and drink. Quite often at the same time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Maybe there's even a bit of a shot of, like, the title page and there are literal tear stains on it. (laughs) Wait, no, no. The best advice I ever got when it came to writing any shit at universities don't even bother with like the intro or the conclusion write the body first yeah so this is just like the title page to the first chapter and there is like tears and maybe a stain of whiskey <laughs> listen you you write the body then you write the conclusion which is just summing up everything that happened in the body and then you write the intro which is the conclusion in reverse <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah woof stack of paper right in front of him all typed up she is like Please! I have been trying to get into contact with you for months! What the fuck? <laughs> and he he's like cynical old, older version of Indiana Jones, so he kind of brushes her off like, yeah, 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 I'll get to it later. And then she's like, fuck! <laughs> Leaves, goes over to the dean's office, and that's when like she's arguing with the secretary to try and get a meeting with the dean so that she could get a different advisor. This is like the fifth time he's brushed her off like this. Yeah. And then the plot starts to happen. Oh no, the plot. In that she sees someone talking to the dean. You can see in her eyes she recognizes this dude and knows that he is bad news. And she's like, you know what? I'll come back um, tomorrow, Janice. Bye! Oh, yeah, Madeline would totally be known to the secretary by this point. (laughs) (laughs) So, basically, it's mostly just setting up, like, what is Indy doing right now? What has gone down in the past couple years? So, I'm keeping some of the stuff that they did, or 
some of the characters, like Jim Barbat's uh, Dean, because the guy who originally played um, Marcus Brody, who was the Dean of Marshall College, had passed away, and now Sean Connery has passed away, so canonically now Marcus Brody and Dr. Henry Jones Sr. have passed on. And he, like, he's also done his World War II stuff, he's been a spy for a bit, all that sort of stuff. He's now kind of at loose ends. Yeah. Doesn't really know what to do, he's hit middle age. So he's trying to look for something to do. Maybe he's talking with the dean who's like, hey, maybe you should do your job. Also, I had an interesting conversation with like this Mr. Devereaux guy. You know, that one archaeologist who kind of disappeared for a bit. Yeah, he's shown up again. And they talk about the about the murder of the of the archaeologist Felix and Vera Shaw. Yada, yada, yada. Stuff happens. And that's when we cut back over to... Maddie, who is talking on her phone in her dorm with Aunt Mary and going like, okay, this this weird guy showed up. He looks a lot like that Alex Devereaux guy. Also, why won't Professor Jones, you know, pay attention to my shit? (laughs) You can kind of hear on the other side, hey, it's okay. You know, just... You have to get him into a corner, basically, to get him to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Aunt Marion is trying to give some good advice. Also, pay attention to the name Marion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So she gets back to her dorm. She's sitting at her desk. We see a picture of her parents. And we also see a little statuette of a lion-headed Egyptian goddess. And, like, these are, like, the last few possessions she has of her parents. So we get that. A moment she might say something to that picture being like i don't know what i'm doing mom and dad or whatever and then like you hear a commotion from outside she goes to check and oh there's some weird looking guys at the end of the hallway and they spot her and yeah we get our first chasing yay or second chasing yeah so again plot basically it's like get her to indy's place because she's like professor jones knows weird people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, ha- and has gone on weird adventures. I've read the stuff. He barely publishes anymore because of this. So just as the dean is leaving, she bolts up and is like, Hey, Dr. Jones, I have a bit of a problem. And he's like, Look, kid, if this is about your dissertation, I am going to get around to it. She's like, No, it's got nothing to do with that. Okay, it might have something to do with that, but it's got nothing to do with it. Her dissertation is going to be about pre-dynastic like, the transition from the pre-dynastic to the dynastic era. Yeah, of... just establishes that she has background knowledge on the subject. Yeah, yeah. This is her thing. Mm-hmm. Also, she can read hieroglyphs. Yeah. So, basically, this is part of the big expo dump about certain stuff that went down in her past. Basically, she is the daughter of Felix and Vera. Mm-hmm. She was orphaned at the age of six. She kind of bummed around a couple different relatives until... Her Aunt Marion took her on, and Aunt Marion is an honorific title. She's not actually related to Marion Ravenwood. I'm just dropping in that that spoiler right now so that everybody knows who I'm talking about. Yeah, so she was the first girl from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's now putting together all the different clues, trying to figure out, like, she's pretty certain that Alex Devereaux had something to do with her parents' murder, if not the actual murderer. And yeah, why are these thugs after me? Also, let's go back to my dorm and see if all of my shit's still there. For the most part, her room is somewhat fine, except, of course, the statuette is gone and she is like, ah! 
<laughs> That's one of the last things I had of my parents. Ah! Grab stuff. Let's go on an adventure. Let's track stuff down. As it turns out, Aunt Marion is an antique stealer who has worked with the government to find lost and stolen artifacts. Because, oh boy, is there a trade in lost and stolen artifacts. Yeah. Hobby Lobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she's like, hey, Aunt Marion, uh, me and Dr. Jones are going to come over to your place. Aunt Marion is missing! Ah! <laughs> it's basically, okay, find the statue, but find Marion, find, figure out what's going on. They start realize, they find some clues that indicate that this is some sort of organization that is doing some weird shit in Egypt. So, of course, they go over to Cairo. And they follow the clues and all that to get them to the cult meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I love a cult meeting. <laughs> yeah, just some weird European expats left in, in Cairo who are worshipping some really odd interpretation of the Eye of Ra, who, from what I've read, was almost treated as uh, as its own deity. Huh. Yeah. I mean, the Europeans have always been weird with Egypt. Yeah, yeah, the usual occult stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and And since it's a cult and since it's indie, there's probably some Nazis in here. Oh yeah, there's gonna be some former Nazis in here. <laughs> Always. So yeah, actual stuff. We eventually rescue Mary, and we find out what the actual plot going on is, and that is this cult has it in their head that the lost city of Thinis has home to a temple that specifically worshipped a very early version of the Eye of Ra as its own separate deity manifested through these different goddesses. So aside from Mehet, uh, who, let's see, her she was a protective goddess, uh, a distant goddess, personification of the wild deserts of Nubia, whose myth was absorbed into the complex myths surrounding the Eye of Ra. The other goddesses associated with the Eye of Ra are Hathor, Sekhmet, Bastet, Wajet, and Mut. So basically, what I'm thinking with this cult is that their entire thing is they want to remake the world in their own image by invoking the Eye of Ra to quote-unquote burn away this current corrupt world to create a new pure world. And they're going to do it through the help of summoning these other goddesses personified in these statues because in a lot of ancient uh, religions, especially in the Near East, the statue wasn't just a representation of the god, the statue was sometimes the god. Hmm. So, an interesting point of history from the early antiquity, I think, was the king of Babylon, prior to the invasion of the Persians, um, decided that he was going to take all the different statues and religious objects from all the surrounding temples in the smaller towns and cities that were under Babylonian rule, and put them into the central temple of Marduk, which upset a lot of people. Because the implication wasn't just, oh, I'm going to protect our gods, but also, if you don't behave, your god gets it in the neck, to quote Dan Carlin. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is the plan. How does Alex Devereaux fit into it? Well, he's kind of a believer, but he is also, like, I'm going to say their fixer. He's the guy who gets shit done, and the reason why he killed Maddie's parents was because they knew too much about both what his plans were, but also like he wanted to keep the knowledge of where Finnis was to himself. Mm -hmm. So he kind of did a, a big crime. Anyway, once we get the plan figured out, we also reintroduce Sulla from the first and third movies. Oh, right. Yeah, he's uh, John Rhys-Davies' character, because he is also kind of like their fixer. He's the 
guy who knows everybody and can get them the diggers and the equipment and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Also, it's John Rhys Davies. He's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's a high speed race into the desert to find Thinnest before the cult does. Also, they got to do their shit during a solar eclipse. Yes, I know in 1957 there wasn't a solar eclipse that could be seen in Egypt. I checked. I don't care we're making up a solar eclipse that could be seen in Egypt. (laughs) (laughs) If you can find a real solar eclipse, store-bought is fine. (laughs) So yeah, they get to Thinnis, they find Thinnis, a lot of shenanigans happen, we culminate in a confrontation between Maddie and Devereaux, where fuck it, Maddie's gonna kill him because like that's her thing, and we stop the cultists. Happy day! Indy and Marion get together, Maddie finally will eventually finish her dissertation, defend it, get her doctorate. Like, that's a Cliff Notes version. I want to talk about themes. Themes? Yeah. Themes and characters and how we are going to develop them. Because we are going to do very different stuff from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Also, the whole Crystal Skull thing is bullshit. (laughs) It was fake. It's a fake. It's a fake. Yeah, the Crystal Skulls aren't really a thing. (laughs) You can. I have seen cheap ones that you can buy for a couple of pesos in Mexico. There. Why, there hasn't been a crystal skull here for 25 years. Yeah, I, I just want to get that out there because it's also tied with the fucking ancient aliens bullshit and I'm just like... Ah! Re- remember, kids, aliens visited Earth and then humans taught aliens how to build pyramids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While you're trying to calm me down. <laughs> Don't let me near George Sukalos. It won't end well for him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway. So, the relationship between Indy and Maddie is going to be very different from what they did with Indy and... God, why did they give him the name Mutt? I guess they just looked at Shia LaBeouf and, was, and are like, you're mutt. <laughs> you're mutt. <laughs> <laughs> There's some people where you just look at them and it's like, this is your name now. <laughs> Apparently, back in like the 80s, 90s, when the idea of a fourth Indiana Jones was being bandied about by uh, Lucas and Spielberg, they had thought about giving... About, like, by this point, Indy and Marion are married and they had a 13-year-old daughter, but apparently one of them thought, like, oh, it, yeah. Uh, Spielberg found this too similar to Lost World Jurassic Park, so a son was created instead. And I'm like, why don't we keep a daughter? That would be a nice change. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually the hero has a son, or if, if there is a daughter, she is usually useless, unfortunately. Um, so in this case, no, Maddie is definitely not Andy's kid, but she's going to be kind of like the surrogate daughter, the daughter he never had. Yeah, he can be her father figure. Yeah. Like, when I was coming up with this idea, the sort of relationship that came into my mind was, uh, have you ever seen Porco Rosso? No, but I know of it. Okay. So there's a really nice relationship between... Uh, the titular Pocoroso and this girl named Fio uh, and a sort of friendly like intergenerational friendship slash mentor-mentee relationship and the big thing is that Porco is a very cynical man 
though he does have a heart of gold deep down in good principles, it's just, you know, life's been shit to him. Hence why he's a pig. And Fio is this bright, very intelligent, uh, very idealistic young... I think she's about 17, so yeah, she's getting close to adulthood and all that. Yeah. So... The relationship between Indy and Maddie, I was thinking, should be similar, where he's kind of been, he's cynical, he's lost people in his life who were really important to him now, um, he's kind of adrift and doesn't really know what he's doing anymore, like, his adventures are kind of, like, getting to the point of going through the motions at this point. Yeah. And then Maddie comes into his life, she's obviously going to be fairly bright, very intelligent, she's... She's a young woman in the 50s trying to get a fucking doctorate. It It's still going to be difficult for her. So she's had an uphill battle from the beginning. Yeah. Because I can only imagine the sort of patronizing bullshit she's had to deal with. In a field that has been traditionally unfriendly towards women too. But, you know, she keeps persisting. And she's a very idealistic. And maybe one of the things, like, aside from bringing Indy some new energy to his life and all that sort of stuff... Maybe also she brings a new perspective on what he's been doing for most of his career, which has unfortunately been, you know, barging into archaeological sites. Maybe kind of smashing up the place and then taking the stuff and putting it in a museum far away from where it was originally located. And she's like, hey, maybe we should at least keep the stuff in country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we can totally make this argument fairly palatable to the people who are like, oh, I don't like politics in my Indiana Jones movie, where it's like, maybe she brings up the whole, hey, maybe in 2000 years, our descendants are going to be digging up, I don't know, Philadelphia, and they find the Liberty Bell. And instead of keeping it in the area that used to be Philadelphia, they take it to the other side of the world. And the people who now live in what used to be Philadelphia don't get to see it anymore. Isn't that unfair? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it hits the patriotism too. <laughs> <laughs> Take that patriotism archie. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we, we smash the patriarchy and we smash the patriotism. Yeah, we do both and in a fairly easy to understand way where it's like, hey, this this stuff is bullshit. Yeah. I'm also just imagining just very basic like indie because he's become so going through the motions with everything he's gone to the point where like he's not really receptive to new ideas about what he's studying even yeah like he just goes in and he's like oh obviously it's gonna be like this and so this is how it should go like i'm even i'm picturing uh maddie because maddie probably has pictures of the statue too yeah and so i'm just uh, this when you were talking about her meeting with indy i just had this image of like her trying to get Indy on her side and explain the whole, uh, what's, what's the place it's called? Tissus? Uh, Thinnis. Thinnis. Explaining the whole Thinnis situation to him. And he shows him a picture and he's like, oh yeah, that's Sakhmet. And then he just hands it back to her like, no, it's, it's, what it's was it? Mehet. Mehet. Yeah, it's Mehet. And like, okay, but there's a lion hand god. It's obviously Sakhmet. Like, d- look at, you can read hieroglyphics, you ding that. <laughs> Stop being lazy. Exactly. <laughs> he looks at it. Oh, okay. Well then it's a fake. Like, oh my God. <laughs> No, it's the real thing. I got it from my fucking parents, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And when she invokes her parents, like, that's when he he starts really taking her seriously because the the murders of the Shaws were kind of a shock to the archaeology community. They were well-respected. And I was thinking that maybe Indy and the Shaws weren't friends that were acquaintances. They they just didn't have the same social circles or their social Mm -hmm. circles. 
social circles brushed each other, but they weren't in constant contact with each other. But even then, like, two people got murdered here and left a child orphaned. Hey, what what if he met Maddie when she was, like, really, really little? Like, when oh! she was five years old and her parents yeah, and- bring her to, like, an archaeological society <laughs> meeting? Yeah, and he does the thing that has happened to me several times where it's like, oh, I remember when you were this small. <laughs> yeah, because my dad has been in the Navy for so long, there are, like, captains and commodores who are like, oh, I remember you, Lindsay, when you were three. <laughs> like thanks uh, I, th- I think at some point like one of my parents relatives was like talking to me like last time I saw you you were three years old do you remember me and I think I just sit their face I wasn't a person then how could I remember you you don't really start forming memories until you're about four exactly <laughs> yeah so I think it should ultimately there should be a moment just before the climax where and he comes up to her and it's like, yeah, I've actually read a couple chapters of your dissertation. Um, it does need a bit of work, but you know what? You got some real good stuff there. You might want to type up a fresh copy that doesn't smell like the whiskey you poured on it. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we can tell when you've been crying on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, I, like, I feel like the, the prologue scene or the whatever flashback scene where, like, Maddie is it maybe the, the soiree is at Indy's house and Maddie, like, wanders away and comes back and she's wearing his hat. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and the parent's like, oh, that's adorable! And Indy takes, like, listen, maybe you can earn this later when you're old. And she's like, okay! <laughs> yes. And then, at the climax, when, like, the, the temple is collapsing, because it's Indiana Jones, of course the temple is collapsing, yeah. Indy's running, and his hat flies off, and Matt's like, wait, no! And she goes back to the hat, and Matt, he's like, no, man, you don't, and then she comes back and she gets the hat. I don't know if that's something that actually happened. I feel like that may have happened in Crystal Skull too. Yeah, I think it did. I, I don't remember the climax. That climax was edited so weird. Uh, I know that the very, at the very least in the climax of the Crystal Skull, everyone got sucked up into a UFO and um who who played the villain uh Kate Blanchett yeah Kate Blanchett got her uh, brain deep fried by the aliens yeah and then everyone ran away and then, and then fucking professor slughorn is like everyone's like they're going back to their home planet and slughorn's like actually it's their own dimension anyways <laughs> <laughs> by the way i'm no longer crazy yeah that entire thing was just I think the problem was the back half was so fucking weird. Yeah. I I remember the scene where, like, Marion and Indy get married, and yeah. then, like, the hat blows over to Butt, and he's about to put it on, and he grabs it like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're not valid in the eyes of the hat. <laughs> Which, yes. On the other hand, Maddie will be worthy of the hat. <laughs> yes, exactly. So if, if, this, if I'm cribbing a scene from Crystal Skull by accident, you know what? It works better here. Yes. And I definitely want them to have a better relationship because, uh, as was Britain, apparently uh, the concept was Cope wanted to make Mutt into a nerd, but Lucas refused, explaining that he had to resemble Marlon Brando in The Wild Ones. Quote, he needs to be what Indiana Jones's father thought of him. The curse returns in the form of his own son. He's everything his father can't stand. (laughs) (laughs) See... I, I get the, I get the appeal of that, but yeah. it doesn't work when you're trying to set him up as the successor. Yes, <laughs> like uh, the, the with Maddie, like I can I can see like her and Indy going over the, the like the textbooks and stuff and having like the same eureka moment at the same time. Yes, 
Because they are going to do the research, and part of the subplot is Marion has been looking into this whole Thinnest situation for a while and tracking down where the other statuettes of the goddesses have gone, because they're also part of the ritual, because we are going to have a mummy-style ritual counter-ritual going on. <laughs> will, will there be mummies? I don't know, because I don't want this to be too much like the mummy. That's true. <laughs> like I was going to say, what, what if Evie and Jonathan show up? <laughs> <laughs> They're owned by different companies, unfortunately. No, we're, we've both we've bought both of these IPs actually now. Yeah. <laughs> I won the lottery. <laughs> I bought the rights to Indiana Jones for one corn chip. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Now I need to write some fanfic about this. <laughs> <laughs> what about Indy crossing over with the money, or about me buying the IPs? <laughs> both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. Again, we also have to, like, rekindle the entire thing with Marion and Indy. Um, if I remember correctly, chronologically, Temple of Doom happens before Raiders and uh, Last Crusade. So maybe sometime just after Raiders, because I'm thinking that one happened in 38, Indy gets sucked into government-related spy shit. Basically, it's just a simple he and Marion lost contact with each other again. So then, like, Marion's doing her own stuff that involves, like, maybe she's working for a museum. Oh, I know. She was working for a museum in France. And she was part of the effort to box up and hide away artifacts and paintings and all that from the Nazis because they were incredible looters. Oh, yeah. Holy fuck. They made a whole movie about that, too. Yeah. So she was part of that effort, and then post-war, it she's been helping to track down where stuff has gone. And again, there is a massive market for stolen antiquities. Like, holy fuck. So, yeah, she's been keeping her eye on this entire situation and what Alex Devereaux has been up to. Also, I should develop Alex Devereaux. So Alex Devereaux, I'm thinking, like, he has been part of this cult. He is the fixer. Um, I actually have him cast. In my mind? Nice. You ever heard of the TV series Black Sails? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so our villain is going to be played by Toby Stevens, who played Captain Flint. Okay. Yes, because he makes for real good charismatic villain material. The cults, I, they're there. I might develop the leader of the cult. Maybe it's a hot witchy chick. <laughs> <laughs> some, some kind of... Ex-Nazi Eva Braun wannabe. Yeah. <laughs> no, Magda Goebbels. Magda <laughs> Goebbels type. Yeah, so she's doing that stuff. We can get a hot German lady to play her. Because there's something about female cult leaders that is really cool and you don't see it that often. I shouldn't say cool, but like very interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yes, it's fascinating. <laughs> like, hey, I, I, I want to study you. I want to look at you. You're very tall. You have a big hat, but <laughs> don't approve of you. <laughs> yes, everybody is thinking of of Lady Dimitriscu. <laughs> no, actually, it's it's that Tumblr post. It's like if you see me talking positively about a villain, I want you to understand because I want you to understand that I actually do approve of every single thing that they do, and I feel they are a great role model. <laughs> Look, part of my sexual awakening was, you know, watching Atlantis the Lost Empire and seeing Helga Sinclair. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now. 
<laughs> that was the start, and the second part was the tutors. Yes. Goddamn Natalie Dormer. Yeah, Heck, hey, this... what if it was what if it was Natalie Dormer? Yes, there. Perfect. Fucking she can she can be one of those combination b- British nobility n- Nazi sympathizer cult leaders that yeah. there is a lot. Yeah. Like put that all together, add in some of like Madam Hydra in there too. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we have to do a b- whole bunch of sexual awakenings for the twelve year olds, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they must realize some stuff about themselves. <laughs> this this is our kink of pride discourse. Just put hot villains in movies. <laughs> you're turning bright red well it's true (laughs) (laughs) oh boy yeah <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna have to put one of those will be right back notes in the track. <laughs> okay, so So yeah, that's a bare bones thing. Probably other stuff that we can flesh out. I was really I thought for a second about giving Maddie a love interest, but then I'm like, nah. Well, what we could do is we because because one of the themes is like the importance of not stealing all these artifacts from their cultures. We could have like a local guide character that's her well, age. Well, one of the things I was thinking is uh, Sulla mentions in the first Indiana Jones movie that he has a wife and children. What if okay. it's one of his sons? Yeah. Yeah. And and so and then they don't we don't even need to give them like a ship tease, but it's something there for yeah. her to interact with of her like her own age. And then obviously the fans go, Oh, it's Maddie and Sulla Jr. They're gonna get together. And it's like that's not something that's in the text or the subtext of the movie, but it's something there in case we want to capitalize on it for the next Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how the actor's chemistry goes. <laughs> Baby, it's terrible. And he's just like he, he shows up in the next movie. Is I was gonna say her Ron Stoppable, but Ron and Kim did actually get together because they did have impeccable chemistry. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe they just got good friend chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that. Exactly. All the time. <laughs> I was gonna add you pervs, but then like we had like a five minute laughing fit. Over. <laughs> you can only be a pervert about a villain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um were there any other themes you wanted to cover uh misappropriation of ancient stuff for religious purposes because a lot of occultism is bullshit yeah i mean that that's pretty much right that's the premise yeah. of the movie yeah maybe like i don't want to get into the whole cycle of revenge no if you shoot him you'll be just like him it's like no fuck that I mean, if, if we want to talk about cycles, we c- it can be something like Maddie second-guessing whether she's living up to her parents' yeah. dreams. And that's how she, another way that she can relate to Indy. Like, instead of her being, oh, it's everything Indy hates, like, she worries that she, what what if I've grown up to become everything that my parents hate? Yeah, yeah, because, like, they were... Maybe, maybe she, so maybe she does actually shoot one of the cultists. 
Yeah. And then she's like, oh, my parents were like peaceful and passive and all that stuff. And then he's like, listen, they would be proud of you because you're working to help people. And yeah, it sucks that you shot someone. It sucks that you shot someone at the like young age. But yeah, <laughs> listen, in archaeology, you're going to have to kill some Nazis. <laughs> I mean, archaeology, like it's nowhere near what Indiana Jones actually does. But sometimes you are going to be working in some dangerous places there are archaeologists in Afghanistan who have to have, like, their AK strapped to their back all the time because, yeah? Yeah, that's a whole thing. Or, and that's, that's like, like local archaeologists. Yeah, or, like, you're working in, like, Central South America and you stumble upon the lost city of someone's coca fields. Yeah, the local narcos don't like that. Yeah. Also, it is a physically difficult discipline for the humanities soft liberal arts people they don't know what tough stuff is it's like fuck don't go to the anthropology department then <laughs> but yeah it would be very much be a situation of like indy saying hey but i was always worried that my dad was disappoint disappointed in me too and then i stopped caring about that and then finally we did like reconnect with each other and we re earned our respect from each other but because we found the a holy grail that's not important now the point is <laughs> <laughs> I may not have known your parents very well, but I can guarantee that if they could see you now, they would be proud of what you're doing. And, yeah. and if you're still concerned about that, just keep doing things in their memory. Mm -hmm. That is a good message. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I think, I think really the last thing we need to do is what is the um, hypergraphic death scene going to be like? Ooh, and, who's, yeah. and who's on the receiving end? Is it going to be Devereaux or is it going to be uh, cult leader Natalie Dorner or is it going to be both? Why not both? We don't have to go full mummy, but, like, scarabs seem scary. See, but that, that is almost too yeah. close to the mummy. Like, I'm yeah. thinking something involving, like, the deities that they're claiming to worship. Yeah, because Sekhmet, you know, river of blood and beer. Oh, okay, so what? Call back to the thing I was talking about before, where Indy is brushing off Mehet as just Sekhmet. So yeah. what if, like, they're trying to open uh, the Western Gate? I don't know if that's part of Egyptian mythology. The most I know is I get from Mummies Alive. But <laughs> I think they refer to, like, where the sun rises and the sun sets as the gates. So. so so Natalie Dorner opens the gates, and it's, like, this this magical, like, place, like, all stars and stuff. And a lion-headed goddess, like, walks out, and she's like, Behold! It's beautiful, Matt! And, like, Indy and uh, Maddie, they both see, like, uh, the hieroglyphics on, like, a necklace or something. Or, like, they, they, they pick up on small notes, like, No, that is actually Sekhmet this time. Bye. <laughs> yes. And then Sekhmet does what Sekhmet does best, <laughs> which is kill everyone she can see. Yeah. And then get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have you ever seen pictures of, like, lions after they've eaten their kill and just covered in oh, blood? Oh, yeah, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just gotta leave the kids with that image there. Did Sekhmet ever flay anybody? I don't think so, but she totally would. She, t I feel, I feel like that's what De uh, Devro and cult leader would get. Is like she, she would just be stabbing and decapitating everyone else. But uh, Devro and cult leader Natalie Dorner, that's her full name now. <laughs> they, <laughs> they both like get like like Buffy season six Warren style flayed. Oh, bored now. Rip. Yeah, I'm down with that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think that covers everything. Yeah, I don't want, I don't want to cut you off, but I think that covers everything that you had. Yeah, I didn't think much about other casting, so. I mean, it, it, it's not like Indiana Jones has a huge cast. Nah. 
It's just like, here, here's a generic guy who can fall in a pit of snakes. Here's a generic guy who can... Oh, you said Cobra got us, so we can have some snakes show up again. Oh, yeah. Because we gotta get in at least one. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> so that's the thing. So Indy's afraid of snakes, and Indy Sr. was afraid of rats. So what's Maddie afraid of that she can encounter in Egypt? Bugs? Maybe... What if mm. it's, like, specifically scorpions? Yeah. Specifically scorpions. There has to be at least a couple kicking scorpion scenes. Oh, like, like Matt, Maddie has to pull Indy away from, like, a pit of snakes or something, and she's like, grow up, Professor Jones, it's just snakes. And then Indy's like, oh yeah, what happened? Oh hap-? no, a scorpion's fallen onto her shoulder. It's yeah, like- and he's like, don't move. And then he just, like, he doesn't even, like, smack it, he just, like, scoops it up and deposits it somewhere else, and she's, like, freaking out, and he's like, yeah, what happened to just snakes? <laughs> yes. There we go. We have done it. We have created Indy. Was this Indy 4 or Indy 5? Indy 4.5. Yes, there we go. <laughs> or Indy 4 as it should have been. Yes, <laughs> that that's what it is. Yes. Oh, what is it called? Is it is it Indiana Jones and the Lost City? That seems a little too obvious. Um, and people are going to go in thinking it's like El Dorado or Atlantis. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh... Indiana Jones and the Lost Goddess. Yeah. Yeah, because out of all... Like, when you think of the Egyptian pantheon, you probably think Isis, Osiris, Horus, maybe Ra. And Thoth, and maybe Bastet. And if you're a nerd like us, you probably think of the sun disk that Akhenaten worshipped and try to make monotheism a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been a few years since I googled Akhenaten memes. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Sweet, okay. I guess in that case, I've what I've got here... I'm going to grab my um, ancient chest that contains the friendship promos, and I'm just going to open it and see what's inside. The Mona Lisa, the Hope Diamond, the sarcophagus of King to Uncommon. Humanity has accumulated hundreds upon hundreds of priceless artifacts and treasures, each one the physical embodiment of a certain time and place. But for all of humankind's greatest achievements, we also kind of suck. For every priceless painting on display in the Louvre, there is another masterpiece stolen and bartered off in an underground auction, or even collecting dust in your grandmother's attic. Each week, Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast, explores the strange, but mostly true, tales behind history's greatest lost treasures. If you like unsolved mysteries and true crime, with maybe a little less murder, but certainly a few weird deaths, then you should come along on the journey. Join me, Maxwell, as I dig beneath the couch cushions of history. You can find Relic on iTunes, or stream us at relic.blueberry.net. That's Blueberry without the E's. Adventure awaits. Ah, my face is being melted! By all the great podcasts that we support here at the Quarter Podcast Network. Yeah, I'm gonna have to clean up all that goo. Great. All right, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. It's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I You First, and they're also what we named the dog. <laughs> You can also email us at notifireboutyoufirst at gmail.com where you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and something 
that should belong in a museum. That's also where you can send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip or just a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast, your YouTube, even your DeviantArt. You can even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised. Not a fire, but your first is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows we share the network with, such as Home for Weirdos, Seized, Faithful, and Loser Like Me, at QuarterPodNet on Twitter. Or you can discuss those shows in the Corner Podcast Discord, the link of which is in the description. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex aka Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. Last but not least, don't forget you can buy this episode for yourself. That's right, it is not an NFT. What it is is just your name on a spreadsheet, but for $5 donation to the North Central Family Center, link in description, we will declare that you are the owner of this podcast episode or any episode you so desire. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay. What are we going to be doing next week? Well, let me give you my hint in four parts, with the third part first and the first part last. Next week, we'll be walking and talking about a third-rate show and a fourth-rate network. The two main characters are endearing, if not vaguely gay. The women are strong and independent, except when the plot calls for them to be rescued, which is often still. We'll try and say something profound about society in between the overuse of Latin, incessant musical theater references, and constantly repeating each other in patter dialogue. You're listening to Not If I Be You First on CPN, so come on back. Cool. Anyways, we'll deal with the frozen turkey in the lighting grid next week, but not... If for your boot, you first. Bye.